Good morning, Riverside. Good to see you all here today. Uh, it is a, an honor and a privilege for me to introduce to you our guest speaker this morning, uh, Scott Meyer. Uh, Scott is the pulpit minister at the Western Hills Church of Christ in Temple, Texas. Um, that is my wife's home church. She grew up there. Her family still attends there. He's been there for 23 years, serving as the pulpit minister for a little over 18. So yes, he has had to put up with my in-laws for 23 years. You are a special man. I'm telling you what there. Uh, he and his wife, Erica, have three beautiful kids. Caden, who's a senior at Abilene Christian and who's getting married this summer. And then they have twins, a boy and a girl. Cooper is a freshman at Harding University and plays on the women's golf team. And then Cutter is a freshman at Abilene Christian. So they have three children in private higher education learning. Young families space those kids out a little bit better than they did here. I told First Service we're going to be taking up a collection and passing a hat around for them for tuition, So, but it is an honor to have him here. I'm going to say a prayer of blessing over him, and then I'll, I'll give it over to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we are just so grateful for Scott and Erica being here today. Lord, we pray for your hand to continue to guide them and lead them as they serve the, the Temple Belton community. We pray that you'll speak through him this morning, guide his heart, and guide our hearts Tune our ears to hear what he has to say. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you give Scott a round of applause? Just to be clear, I'm not opposed to the pass the hat idea. Just I, Before we dive into the message, I want to just share my appreciation for Jason extending me the invite and congratulations on him being your new preaching minister. I've had the privilege of knowing Jason for many, many years, as you have as well. He has faithfully loved and served this church, and obviously you have loved and served him and his family well too, because uh, as one that made the transition inside of a church from one ministry position to another, uh, it's a rare thing, and it's a special relationship, and I know you will be blessed. In when I grew up, I grew up not far from here, uh, over in North Richland Hills, and I remember a moment that would forever kind of burn itself into my memories and my thought, and it was with my mom. My mom passed away in 2015, so this is one of the very sweet memories that I have of her among many, but we were walking into the North Richland Hills Mall. And if you don't know what a mall is, you can Google that. But as you walk into the mall, there is these two doors that you go through. You go through the outer door, and then you're in this little airlock kind of thing, and then you go through the next door. When we were walking in, we went in through the first set of doors. Remember, I'm, I'm a pretty small child, and all that I was aware of was a strong... Um, odor and and a offensive odor and there was a lady also in the this between these two doors and obviously she was in some kind of distress now I didn't know what was going on I wasn't going to learn what was going on for a while and I sure wasn't going to understand what was going on for many years but at the same time, 
another group was walking through. These were high school students or they were young college students, but they were walking through and they kept walking back and forth and they were laughing and they were pointing. And I don't remember all they said, but I know that none of it was pleasant. And it was always all at the expense of this lady who I would only learn later had a colostomy bag that had ruptured. And that was the odor. What I won't forget is what my mom did with people laughing. She quickly went and found paper towels, toilet paper, I don't know what, but she began to help the woman clean up. And that is forever burned into my brain because that is an example of a beautiful moment. Wouldn't you agree? And it doesn't take you to be a certain political persuasion. It doesn't take you to be a certain age. It doesn't take you to be a certain uh, economic level. We can all agree at some place that that's a beautiful moment. And there's something that we recognize in that. And what Jason has offered me to do is launch this series as you are now on a road to the cross. You're following that walk with Jesus. And it's ironic because there's that walk with Jesus that we would definitely look at Jesus' life and say, what a beautiful life. Christ has a certain aesthetic about his life. And even though his life is on a road toward what the old hymn says, the emblem of suffering and shame, this ugly cross it still has a beauty about it. So I want to launch into that journey that we're called and invited to take along with Jesus. And I want to back to the place where I think he inaugurates that journey, that he launches his platform, if you want to speak, where he announces his coming kingdom and says, if you want to walk this way, if you want to walk in a beautiful life, if you want to walk like me, here's what that looks like. And he begins that in what we would call the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And in this, what he does is he gives us something that we actually would call a cliche. You're familiar with a cliche. It's a, it's a saying that that we just kind of pass around. And the problem is oftentimes there's always truth in them, but oftentimes they become so familiar that we lose some of their meaning. So I've got a couple here. We'll, we'll warm everybody up. First service did really good with these. I trust that this is the now warm and well-caffeinated crowd. So help me out. Path of least resistance. Very good. Here's one. Chip on one's shoulder. I don't even know what chip is, but you know, have it on your shoulder. Next one is this, once in a blue. Okay, how about this? All bark and no. And finally, the one that Jesus gives us, go the extra mile. See, some of you might not even realize that that was authored by Jesus. But Jesus, in this message, when he launches this, he gives us that. And the problem is, because cliches become so familiar to us that they lose some of their teeth. 
They lose some of their grit about them, and we tend to start look, overlooking the really transformative message behind them. And so what I want to do in our time remaining is dive back into this sermon that Jesus preached, and I'm always happy to steal his stuff, okay? So I'm going to do Jesus' sermon in chapter 5 of Matthew. If you've got a Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 38, but what he spent the very first part of that sermon doing is what we would call the Beatitudes. And if you get a chance to read those, he says, blessed are. And he goes through a series of blessed are the righteous, blessed are the meek. And he walks through this. What he's describing there is this beautiful life. So he gives in the Beatitudes the description of what this beautiful life that he's inviting everybody into. And then... Everything that follows that in the remaining part of chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of Matthew in this sermon is commentary on what that looks like. This is how you live that out. So if you would, let me share with you the words of God, words of Jesus today, and I'll just read through this. And to the best of your ability, put yourself in the place of some of the poor peasant Jewish people that are on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee hearing this sermon delivered for the very first time. Because once again, it's its familiarity to us that makes it lose some of its punch because we kind of, well, we know how that goes. But listen to this and see if you can hear it with a fresh set of ears today. Verse 38, you have heard it said, And what he's about to do is he's about to say, here's what the law has said. Here's what your scriptures have said. But I'm going to tell you something different. You've heard said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, then go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, oftentimes in preaching, we will say something like, I'm about to step on your toes. Jesus just strapped on a steel-toed boot and walked across all their toes. This is some really radical stuff. See, unfortunately, we're so familiar with it that we just think, well, that's what Jesus says. But if you stop and listen and look what he's asking to do, this is what he's saying is if you want this beautiful life, when you join me on this road to the cross, this is how you live. 
back up to the very beginning of it. He says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other as well. So that he can slap you again? Yeah, slap me on the right, turn the left. No, thank you, Jesus. I'd rather give a left. That makes sense. What Jesus is saying doesn't make sense. Jesus is saying, if someone steals your shirt, let him have your cloak as well. This is the equivalent of if somebody steals your DVD player, make sure that they have the DVD collection that you have so they have something to watch. Now, I know that's dated because I said DVDs, but you get the idea. This does not make any sense. So he's already said these two things that the the audience, the congregation gathered is going, really? And then he says the one that is perhaps the most political, the most offensive of the day. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. He is referencing, we may not catch it, but he is referencing the common practice. Everybody in the audience that day knew exactly what he was talking about. And it's the idea that they were an occupied country. They were not under their own sovereignty. They were ruled by Rome. And one of Rome's means of enforcing its power was they dispersed their army, their legions throughout the world. And wherever their legion was, Rome had the power. Rome set the laws. Rome collected the taxes. Rome set the agenda. Rome called the shots. And they created an incredible uh, highway system. And they actually had mile markers on this highway system. We actually have some of these mile markers. Here's a picture of two of them right now. These mile markers were set every mile, and they would be through all the major highways, all the major roads, and it would be like a modern-day GPS system. It would tell you where you were. It would also tell you the name of the emperor under whose reign and authority this road was built. So when you walked under the, when you walked the road, you were walking under the authority of that emperor, essentially. And so a soldier, it was, they carried all their own provisions, could come along, and if there was a farmer in the field, or if there was a tradesman doing their labor, and somewhere they came across a laborer, they could impress them into service. That's why the word in the, in the scripture says forced. When somebody forces you, doesn't ask you, is not, hey, can I get a favor? He could force the farmer, the peasant into service. He would have to carry his pack and he would go from one mile marker to the next mile marker. And that was required it didn't matter what the peasant was doing, what the farmer was doing, what the laborer was doing beforehand. That was just required. And so this, Jesus says, when someone forces you, go to one mile. And I wonder if he paused at that moment in the sentence. Because again, this would have been a political topic for them. What does he say next? And then he says, you go to now, if he had said to them, we're not going to do that anymore because that's not right. Everybody in the crowd would have cheered him and the movement would have been off and running. 
the rally. That would have been throwing red meat to the crowd. But Jesus comes back with this incredibly radical, strange thing that says, says, you go two. You don't just go one. When an injustice is done to you, you reply differently. So I want to share with you three things real quickly. If we're going to live this extra mile life, this beautiful life, walking our way to the cross. If we're going to join Jesus on that journey. If you want to write these down, I encourage you that. And you can go back and reflect on these during the week. Here's number one. The extra mile is the call to serve others, especially those you don't like. See, it's real easy to serve the people we do like, right? But when Jesus says, when the Roman soldier comes along and forces you, they already despise them. His call is a call to serve the ones that you don't like. Christians serve those that they dislike, that dislike us, and those that we disagree with. There is no limitations put on it. That, that's why he says you actually serve your enemy. Remember, this whole context is love your enemies. That does not mean have warm, fuzzy feelings for your enemies. It means you go into action on their behalf. And so Jesus is asking this very radical thing where he's asking the next time that the soldier comes along, the next time the soldier comes along and forces you into service, you do something different. Can, can you imagine that soldier? Because he's done this before and he knows the outcome of this every time. Every time he does this, he's, he needs somebody to carry his pack. He wants somebody to carry his pack, whatever. But he goes and he points and he says, you come carry my pack. And he knows that this person is going to be mouthy. They're going to be frustrated. They're going to curse him under their breath. They're going to get to the end of the mile and they're going to take the pack and they're going to throw it down. And they're going to stomp away. But Jesus is saying, when they encounter you, it's different. And so here's the day that the soldier comes along and he calls a random laborer out of the field. And the laborer lays down his rake or his shovel or whatever he's using and he runs over. Can I help you? And instead of the usual mouthy response, he says, I'd love to. Soldiers caught off guard. He hands him the pack. They begin to walk. And instead of giving curses under his breath and griping about the oppression of Rome, this follower of Jesus realizes that this soldier is also displaced because his family is not from here and he has no way of contacting his family. He can't make a phone call to them. So he says, you have kids? Tell me about your wife. What are your hobbies? And before you know it, the mile is up. And then perhaps for the very first time in the soldier's existence, he says a word that he's never said before in this thing. He goes, thank you. And the response is, hey, let's go one more. I want to hear more about your family. And they go another one. 
And they get to the end, and the soldier has had an experience unlike he's ever had before. And suddenly, the beautiful life is coming out. The extra mile is is the call to serve the others, even those that you don't like. But he had encountered a follower of Jesus that day, and it was different. Number two, the extra mile is not simply a thing you do, it is how you live. It's easy for us in church world to get caught up and say, okay, on Thursday at 3 o'clock, I'm scheduling extra mile time. And that's great. We can put stuff on our calendars, and I'm not opposed to that. But what Jesus is calling us to do is, is this is as you go along, as you walk along, every time you're inconvenienced or an injustice is done to you, it's an extra mile opportunity. So those times that you wait in line way too long, those times that you're stuck in traffic, Y'all have traffic around here? I live, we live right near I-35. Like, I can't tell if it's a highway or a parking lot. I never know. Have you ever noticed that when you're in traffic, everybody else is the problem, but you're not contributing to the problem? Because everybody else is messing up your plan? This is what Jesus is saying. When you're inconvenienced, we respond differently to the world. And just a little bit, when you're at the restaurant and your order's messed up, how will you respond? What will be the guiding thing? The extra mile is not simply a thing we do, but it's how we live. We are extra mile people if we're Jesus followers. That's the life that he's calling us to. He doesn't give us an opt out. He doesn't set between a, a, a time window that we get to choose and select. When we're inconvenienced, when the injustice is done to us, when somebody treats us poorly, will we go the extra mile? And here's the last point, and if you don't remember any of those, I want you to take this one away. Going the extra mile is participating in and proclaiming the gospel story. When we live this beautiful life, this journey to the cross, it is a participation in, that's his invite, Join me on this journey. And then each step of the way proclaims the gospel story. Francis C.C. famously said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary because the other thing you lead with is your actions. And Jesus is trying to break the curse of the escalating violence that we all live with. I grew up with brothers, and they did not always take after the fine model that I had set for them as the older brother. So every now and then we get into a fight. And when one of us hit the other, it was only justifiable and right and righteous to do what? Hit back. Thank you. People grew up with siblings, I see. And then after we hit back, let's say he hit me and I hit back. You know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced that whatever force I hit back is exactly the right amount of force that he hit me with, right? Because it's all justifiable. 
And then he would feel the need, but he never agreed. And so he would feel the need to hit back because I had hit him harder. And then you see how it escalates. This is the cause of every conflict throughout history. This escalation of violence. And see, Jesus has just said, when you get hit, you turn the other cheek. And now your enemy, you're not escalating against your enemy. And you're changing the game all of a sudden. And we get to participate in that. We get to proclaim that gospel story because Jesus walked the extra mile for us first. This is the message of Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. And if you want to write a better word in there, you can write the word while we were still enemies. While we were rebellious. While we were caught up in ourselves, Christ died for us. So what does Christ do? Christ walks the road for us. He bears the burden, the pack of my sin. And he doesn't go just the extra mile, but he goes all the way to the cross and takes what is, should have been my burden and takes that upon himself. Remember, the mile markers had the emperor's name. Under whose authority are you walking this road? Jesus invites us on a road this walk to the cross that's now under his authority, under a different king. And that's the invite. Walter Everett was a Methodist pastor. At the age of 60, Walter Everett lost his son, Scott, happened to be named Scott, in what amounted to nothing more than a drunken fight. A young man named Michael Carlucci had gotten drunk one night at the same apartment complex that Scott Everett lived in. And intoxicated, somehow words were exchanged and Michael Carlucci shoots and kills Scott Everett. They go to trial. Walter Everett is obviously in anguish and obviously angry. The sentence is rendered, he's guilty of manslaughter five years. Walter Everett cannot believe that the life of his son was worth only five years. At the sentencing phase, Michael Carlucci is allowed to make a statement. In that statement, he begs for forgiveness, not from the courts, but from Walter Everett, and pleads how sorry he is. Walter Everett is in no mood to give him forgiveness. He cannot do that at this moment. But God begins to work on Walter Everett. And then over a series of correspondence where they start sending letters back and forth, a relationship begins to build. And then visits start following. And Walter Everett is visiting his son's murderer in prison and comes to the point where he can forgive him. Michael serves his time and gets out and begins to rebuild his life. Walter Everett helps him rebuild his life. And then Michael falls in love with a young woman and goes to Walter and says, will you perform my wedding? 
can only imagine that Walter Everett had envisioned performing his own son's wedding someday. That's, I mean, I'm looking forward to that in a few months. But instead of that, here he is performing the wedding of his son's murderer. And at that moment, he talked about forgiveness and talked about love. And he served Michael Carlucci by being, by performing this wedding, inviting him into this. And there's the gospel story. Because there is a wedding coming and it's Christ and seeking his bride, the church. But in this reality, it's the bride that needs the forgiving. It's the bride that needs the dependence on the groom. And because of this road to the cross, this beautiful life that Jesus invites us to walk on, we have that hope and that forgiveness. It is a participation and proclamation of the gospel story. So if you would, if you stand with me, please. I want to pray for us and then we will worship again. Let's pray. Father, these are difficult words and I confess the times that I don't want to follow through with them. Father, I pray that you would help each of us to embrace this beautiful life, this walk to the cross, and we would be extra mile people that when the injustice comes our way, when we're forced into something that we would rather push against, that the moment when somebody is in front of us that we would not escalate and we would not retaliate, but we respond like Jesus because he did that for us first. So, Father, in the name of the King, under whose authority we walk, I pray for this church, that in this place, in this time, they would be a light to the world. They would show a different way, and they would bring hope to all that they encounter. Father, may we all walk this way to the one that went to the cross ahead of us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.